Father in heaven, we're grateful for the blessings that we have been receiving this week. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit this evening. May our hearts be inspired and challenged, and may we be drawn closer to you, and may our faith be strengthened. Give us the faith that we need to stand through the challenges that lie ahead, and I pray that this message would be used by you to give us a clearer understanding of the kind of faith that we need. So we thank you and we praise you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message this evening is Abraham, Father of the Three Angels' Messages. It's one of my favorite sermons. It's a powerful topic and for me it really helps me to understand righteousness by faith more clearly. I want to read one statement and then we are going to get into the the illustration of Abraham's life. But this statement is found in Review and Herald, April 22, 1909. The message of Christ's righteousness must be proclaimed from one end of the earth to the other. Our people are to be aroused to prepare the way of the Lord. The third angel's message, the last message of mercy to a perishing world, is so sacred, so glorious. Let the truth go forth as a lamp that burneth. Mysteries into which angels desire to look, which prophets and kings and the righteous desire to know, the church of God is to make known. God has given to us an understanding of the mysteries that the angels in the past desired to look into, that the prophets of the past wished that they had an opportunity to explain, and we are living in a time where we are to make known these things. So the question is, what are you doing? Are you seeking to know God better every day so that you can make these things known to a lost and dying world? Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 2, verse 23. James chapter 2, verse 23. And Scripture says, The Scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So, here, James says, Scripture was, fulfill, was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, meaning he had faith, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. In other words, Abraham had righteousness by faith. And to be imputed righteous means you are justified. So Abraham was justified by faith. Not only that, he was called the friend of God. One of the secrets to experiencing righteousness by faith is to be God's friend. You know, the devils believe and tremble, but they are not the friend of God. It's one thing to believe, it's another thing to believe and to be God's friend. What kind of a friend are you to someone if you don't believe anything they tell you? Oh yeah, we get along great, I just don't believe anything they say. 
or at least not when it comes to the important things of life. And what does it say about our walk with God if when God gives us promises, we say, I know God says that, but I just can't see it. Are you really his friend? Because when you are someone's friend, you learn to trust their word. They are reliable. They are dependable. What they say to you is what they will do for you. And Abraham was called the friend of God. Now, I wasn't going to do this originally, but I'm just going to throw this out there so that you can let this percolate in your mind a little further. Since Brother Lemon talked about Romans 2.13 today and Galatians 2.16, I'm just going to mention this in passing. Notice James 2.24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Just threw that in there and then you can talk to, to me or him later, but I'm not going to spend any time on it. Now, James 2.23 is one place of several places in Scripture where it says Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness, or he was counted righteous, or was accounted to him for righteousness. One of the other key places in Scripture is Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Now, when you look at the book of Romans, and I'll just give you a brief overview, Paul announces the power of the gospel in chapter 1, but in the remaining part of chapter 1 he says, and by the way, the heathen are very wicked, that's why you need the gospel. Because the heathen are so wicked, they are awful. Look at the abominable things they are doing. But then in chapter 2 he says, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever you judge, because you do the same thing. You know the law of God, but you've broken it as well. So the gospel is needed not just for the for the unbelieving heathen in the city of Rome, but for the Christian believer as well who professes to follow God, and yet who through their unfaithfulness the name of God has been blasphemed. Then you get to Romans 3 and you see that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and you're almost left wondering, how then can I experience the power of God unto salvation and righteousness by faith in Romans 4? Paul says, let me give you an illustration of someone who experienced righteousness by faith even before Jesus came to this earth. And so he shows us in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. There we see it again. And we're going to come back to Romans 4 but I'm, and get towards the end of the chapter later on. But interestingly... The very next verse, it says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You know, sometimes we have this mentality that we've sinned, we've fallen short of God's glory, we've been convicted of something that we've done wrong, and we have this mentality that says, Man, I'm going to have to work really hard to pay off this debt. You can't work hard enough to pay off the debt. To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Abraham is an illustration of someone who believed, and it was counted to him for righteousness. 
where is the Apostle Paul getting this story from? Where did James get the story? Abraham believed God. It was, a, it was counted to him for righteousness. We also see this same account described in the book of Galatians when describing righteousness by faith. And so this is clearly an important concept. It's in Galatians 3.6, so it's in Romans 4.3, Galatians 3.6, James 2.23, and they're all quoting an Old Testament story to make this point about righteousness by faith. And if you want to really understand the story, you need to go back to the Old Testament, to Genesis 15. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Genesis 15 verses 1 through 6. Now the thing you need to understand about this story is that this takes place years after Abraham has left Ur of the Chaldees, after he has received this promise from God in Genesis 12 that God would make of him a great nation. Now, if you get a promise that you're going to be made into a great nation, the assumption is that you are going to have a family to go along with that promise to become that great nation. So when God appears to Abraham, or Abram as he's described still in Genesis 15, Abraham still has no children. Notice verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So God appears to Abram in a vision. They are friends. They've talked to each other before. And notice what happens in verse 2. Apparently Abraham had been waiting to say something to God for a while because as soon as God appears to him, Abraham has something to say. Verse 2, And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, saying, I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Abram, Abraham, he's been thinking about God's promise that God would make of him a great nation, and as soon as God appears to Abraham in a vision, he's ready with his plan that he's thought of that he wants to share with God the next time he can speak with him. And he says, God, I've been thinking about this. I don't have any children, and you said that I would become a great nation. So I've come up with a good plan. I have a man in my house who is like a son to me. He can be the inheritor or the heir so that all the promises that you gave to me will pass through him and he's like a son to me anyway so the promise that you would make of me a great nation will pass through Eliezer because he will have a family and it will pass from my family to his family and since he's like a son to me anyway your promises will be fulfilled that sounds like a pretty good idea doesn't it now I mean Abraham's getting older here so that's a reasonable idea how many times do we do this to God? God, your word has said X, Y, or Z, but you have to understand the limitations of my human circumstances, so I have come up with a plan that's going to help you out, and it will make your promises come through. 
I've got it all figured out, God. I know the Bible says this, and the spirit of prophecy says this, but <clears throat> you're dealing with me and other things, so here's my plan. Please bless it. What was God's response to Abraham? Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. In other words, you will have your own biological child. Now, based on what Abraham said initially, you might have expected him to say, God, how could that be true? But notice what happens next. Verses 5 and 6. And God brought Abram forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. You don't have any children right now. Look up at the stars. That is what your seed is going to be like. Don't tell me Eliezer is going to be the fulfilled promise. That's not my plan for you. Look at the stars in the sky, and that is going to be the fulfillment of my promise. That is going to be your biological inheritance. That is my word to you. And did Abram say, oh, come on, God. <laughs> Nice try, but that's not how it works. I'm old. Sarah's old. Last time I checked, once your time has come and gone, you're done. Nice try, God. That's not what Abram said, is it? Verse 6 says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, what happens in this story here? Abram starts off, thinking of an impossibility that he can't get past and comes up with a human solution. But God responds by saying, is there anything too hard for me? In other words, Eliezer's not going to be your heir, but someone from your own flesh will be your heir. Now then God gives him an illustration. Look up at the, at the sky, Abraham, and look at all those stars. Can you count them? Well, not really. That's going to be your seed. And Abraham says, okay, God, I believe you. And God says, good, you're a righteous man by faith. Now, how do we get there? What was it about God having Abraham look up into the sky caused Abraham to believe God's word? Because remember, God is Abraham's friend, and Abraham is God's friend. James says Abraham was called the friend of God. You also see it in the book of Genesis. Abraham is called the friend of God. And when God says, look at the sky, see the stars, see if you can count them, Abraham remembers something special about the friend that he is speaking to. Do you know what he remembered when he saw the stars? He remembered that it was by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made and that he is speaking to the creator God of the universe who happens to be his friend. He had friends in high places, so to speak. 
He had a friend who, by speaking something, could bring something into existence out of nothing. And immediately he has to be thinking, why did I come up with such a foolish idea to to share with God when I'm speaking to the creator God of the universe? And you have to ask yourself sometimes, where is your faith? Do you know who your God is? And because God reminded him that he was the creator, that he had creative power, Abraham believed in that creative power to do what God said he would do, and God then said to him, you are a righteous man by faith. You are justified by faith. Now, we're going to build on this idea as we go back to Romans 4, because Paul took the time, praise the Lord, to develop this idea even more deeply so that we can understand what it means to believe. Starting in verse 16, this describes how Abraham is the father of all those who have faith. It says, Therefore it is a faith, that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So the faith of Abraham is the kind of faith that his children will have, that if we have the faith that he had, we will also be righteous by faith. And then Paul says, let me tell you about this faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So when Abraham looks up at the stars, he realizes, I'm speaking to the God of the universe who can quicken the dead and call things which are not as though they already were. That's the power of God's word. This is the kind of faith Abraham had. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. There was no human hope for him to believe that he would have any seed. And yet God said, I'm going to go against your human hope by saying that your seed will be like the stars of the sky. So against all human hope, he believed in the hope that God set before him. You know, sometimes there are promises in Scripture and in the spirit of prophecy that are against all human hope. And the question is, where is your faith? Do you have faith to believe in the plain written promises of the word of God because when you see this promise written on your Bible as the word of God just remember that this is the creative power of the word of God which can quicken the dead and call things which be not as though they were verse 19 I love this he's not even done yet describing the power of Abraham's faith Verse 19, and being not weak in faith, meaning he was strong in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, 
neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. You know how old Sarah was when Isaac was born? 90. Now, let's just think about this for a minute. You do not have to be an obstetrician or a medical doctor of any kind. And by the way, sometimes doctors can come across as like, well, we're the ones that know. You don't have to be a doctor to know common sense. Anyway, you don't have to be a doctor to know that a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, a woman cannot come together to have a baby. It's not happening. And in fact, I don't know of any 100-year-old men or 90-year-old women that are hoping for such a blessing these days anyway. <laughs> but for Abraham and Sarah, this meant the world to them. But here's something to think about. God was telling Abraham, you are going to have a child even though you are past childbearing age. Abraham believed, but when God then appeared to Abraham years later, and he said about this time next year, Sarah will have a child, what did Sarah do? She laughed. But eventually, Hebrews 11, verse 11 says, Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Eventually, Sarah had the faith. Now, here's the thing. Abraham's faith had to overcome his physical human impossibility and Sarah's physical human impossibility. And here's what God is saying. My word has such creative power that not only will it produce faith and fruit in your life, it will produce faith and fruit in the life of the one that is closest to you. You know, I've run into people, unfortunately, I've seen this time and again, who say, I could be a good Christian if it wasn't for my spouse. They're the one person that causes me to be unchristian, unchristlike, to lose my temper, to be irritable, to be rude, whatever. Or maybe it's my children or my brother or my sister or whoever it is that's the closest to you. And you're all nice and good when you're around people not like them. But the person that God has put in your life that is the closest to you, you blame on God for having an unchristian experience. And Abraham could have said to God, thanks God, I believe you could do it to me, but have you seen Sarah? She's past childbearing age, and she'll never have faith to have this baby. What are you talking about? Oh, ye of little faith. The excuses that we make when God gives us promises. And then we think that we would be happy with somebody else. Let me tell you something. The reason why your relationship has issues is because you have issues, okay? Now, they might have issues too, but you have issues if you're not converted. And then you think that you can go find a shiny new object and somehow your issues won't be issues with the shiny new object. Guess what? Those issues will be issues once you get past the fluffy, flowery, I'm in love stage. And you'll be right back to square one, and it happens over and over again. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, 
when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So not only is his faith overcoming his human impossibility, his faith is overcoming his wife's physical human impossibility, and God uses Abraham's faith, who is the father of the faithful, to produce faith in Sarah so that she also could bear fruit. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You know, so many times we get these promises, and we see these promises, and we say, I see them, but I just can't see how it can happen, and we're staggering at the promises, and we don't see how they can come true in our lives and we're not coming to God in faith claiming his promises and we have such a weak faith experience that we hardly know how to pray to God to have his promises fulfilled in our lives. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God. And there's the first angel's message. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Do you really think in the judgment hour that this is the time to be staggering at the promises of God? Now is the time to be staggering not at promises that seem impossible. We are living in the judgment hour of earth's history. Now, verses 21 and 22 give us a clearer picture of what it means to believe. Because, as I said, the devils believe and tremble, but they're not God's friend, and they're not righteous by faith. But notice verses 21 and 22, I'm being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now this is a more descriptive way with better adjectives to describe what it means to believe so that you can have righteousness imputed to you. Instead of simply saying Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness, Scripture says he was fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform, therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Meaning, Abraham was fully convinced that God's promises would be fulfilled and that he would have a son. You know, you think of other similar illustrations of faith. That's why Jesus said to the Roman centurion, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel, because the Roman centurion said, I'm a man of authority. And when I say to this man, go here, he goes there. And when I say to another man, do this, he does it. So I'm speaking to you, Jesus, because you are the God of the universe, and you are a man of authority. You don't even need to come to my house. Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus is like, thank you. I haven't found such faith like this in all of Israel. And do we have this kind of faith in Adventism today? Do we believe in the creative power of God's word to accomplish what he has said it will do? Do we really believe Isaiah 55 when God says, My word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish the thing that I have purposed it to? Now you may be saying, you know, that's all nice and fine, 
Abraham. He had this pie-in-the-sky faith experience. He was 100. Sarah was 90. They have this child that's past childbearing age. But, I mean, we're not going to have such an experience today. So how does this apply to me? Well, first of all, here's the application. Abraham and Sarah had faith to believe that God could bless their physically dead bodies with a new birth that was impossible. And this is an illustration of righteousness by faith where our spiritual bodies are dead in trespasses and sins and God has promised that despite the deadness of our spirituality, he can create a new heart and a new life. And so Abraham is the father of faith because as he believed in the creative power of God to do that which was humanly impossible, God can do the same for us spiritually with our spiritual lives. Now, notice what scripture says, verses 23 through 25 of Romans 4. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. This is not just for Abraham. Verse 24, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe or if we are fully persuaded on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now what does this mean? If we believe on God, who's the Father, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So it's the power of God that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Can we make a spiritual application to God's power who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead for our own lives. Go to Romans 6 verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Notice verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now notice verse 4. Remember, it was God that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, and if we believe, we will, be, we will have righteousness imputed to us also. Notice verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Here is what God is promising. Your life may have been dead in trespasses and sins. You may have the worst temper around. You may have the grumpiest attitude around. You may have the most unbelieving attitude around. You may have the biggest trial around. You may have all sorts of problems that are weighing you down and giving you burdens and stress and anxiety or whatever it may be. And God is saying, the same God who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead is the same God who also gave Abraham and Sarah a child when it was physically impossible because the power of his word. And it is the same God who can raise you up to live a new life by faith that is now dead to sin. That's righteousness by faith. Being fully persuaded that God can take your life that has been dead in trespasses and sin. Your life spiritually is as dead as Abraham and Sarah were physically. 
And yet, if God could give them a new child, he can give you the new birth. Now, part of that experience is the, the ability to accept God's forgiveness for the sins of your past. You know, a lot of times we talk about victory over sin, and you've heard plenty of that this week, and we say we need to claim God's promises to experience victory, but then you think on your past life of how dead it's been, and you say, God, how could you ever forgive me for this? In order to be justified by faith, you must accept God's pardoning grace. Because how can you truly believe he's going to give you victory over sin if you're not sure that you've been forgiven for the sins of your past? That's part of justification by faith. Now, I want to show you how Abraham personifies the three angels' messages. We already saw in Romans 4, verse 20, that he was strong in faith, giving glory to God because he staggered not, staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. Interestingly, though, There's more to the story with Abraham. Now, Genesis 15, Abraham believes God, and it's counted to him for righteousness. He's declared to be righteous by faith. But if you study the book of Genesis, do you know what happens in Genesis 16? Sarah comes to, to Abraham and says, I have an idea. God has said that you can have children, but I can't. But my servant Hagar can. So why don't you have the child of promise through her? Now, if you study scripture, the book of Galatians makes it very clear that Hagar and Ishmael are a symbol of the old covenant. And the old covenant is all that the Lord has said we will do. And Sarah and Isaac are a symbol of the new covenant where God does the work in us. So, when we talked about this last night, about how when God says you are justified, that he has to be just in saying so. And so, God gave Abraham another opportunity to be a demonstration that he was truly a righteous man by faith. So, in Genesis chapter 22, God comes to Abraham and says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, He's saying, Isaac's your only son. He doesn't acknowledge Ishmael in this passage and says, offer him up as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. And he doesn't say to Abraham, once you've offered him up, it's going to be okay. He'll still be the child of promise through whom your seed will come. It's all going to be good. I'll raise him from the dead and everything's fine. All he says is, take your son whom you love, offer him for a burnt offering, and that's the way it's going to be. And so Abraham takes three days to get down there, and he comes to the mountain, and Isaac says to him, we have the, the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb? And all Abraham can say by faith is God will provide the lamb. And so you get to verse 11, and Abraham, he really is planning on putting Isaac to death and offering him as a sacrifice and just as he's about to take the knife and put it into Isaac, the angel of the Lord answers or speaks or calls out to him in verse 11 and says, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. 
saying that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham feared God. And how did he fear God? There's more than one way, but in this particular case, he was willing to offer to God that which was dearest to him in life. So he gave glory to God because he believed in the promises of God, and he feared God because he did not withhold Isaac from God. Not only did Abraham personify the first angel's message by fearing God and giving glory to him, Abraham was, a, was known as a man of worship who set up altars wherever he, go, wherever he went, and the first angel's message says, worship him. So we see the illustration of Abraham. First angel's message. Not only did he personify the first angel's message, he also followed God's command to come up out of Ur of the Chaldees. The land of the Chaldeans was the territory of Babylon. Abraham followed the second angel's message by coming out of Babylon. He left everything that would have been to his advantage in the city, where his family was, where his friends were, where everything was comfortable, where he probably had a good livelihood and a good job, where everything was lined up for him, and he came out of Babylon. Not only did he personify the first and the second angel's message, we also see that he personifies the third angel's message. And I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. Here we read in Scripture that you be not slothful or lazy, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience, that's part of the third angel's message. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so scripture is saying, follow them who through faith and patience, who have the experience of the third angel of Revelation 14, 12, follow them. Well, who personifies that? Abraham, and starting in verse 13, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now, here's the amazing thing. Abraham was offering up Isaac. Now, you go back, this is referencing Genesis 22, verses 16 through 18, which is the experience of him offering up Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham is going through what God went through when he offered up Jesus on the cross, except at the end he didn't have to put Isaac to death. But he patiently endured just as Jesus endured the cross. Same book, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 12, Jesus endured the cross. This is the experience of the third angel's message. But not only that, we have those s several verses, James 2.23, Romans 4.3, Galatians 3.6, Genesis 15.6, Romans 4.21 and 22, where it says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. It was imputed to him for righteousness. In other words, he was justified by faith. And we've heard this statement many times, and I'll read it again, Review and Herald, April 1, 1890. Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and I have answered it as the third angel's message in verity. 
The prophet declares, after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. The faith of Abraham will produce in our life an experience that will create power that demonstrates the character of Jesus and the power of Christ. Now, I want to close by challenging your thinking, perhaps, about just how amazing Abraham's faith was. We've talked about Abraham offering up Isaac as a sacrifice, and the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews has something to say about this in the faith chapter of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that an Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now Paul is hitting right to the heart of the challenge that this problem presented for Abraham's faith. Abraham is offering up his only son through whom the promise has been given, and Isaac was born in a miraculous way. He and Sarah were past childbearing age, and now God is telling him to put him to death, and there's no other way that Abraham can see that the promise would be fulfilled. And, you know, when I was younger, I always thought, well, you know, Abraham, when Isaac says to him, where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. Abraham just knew that somehow a lamb would get caught in the thicket the way it turned out, and all would be well. But that's not what the Bible says. Notice what verse 19 says. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now notice, Abraham's faith is being tested his character is being demonstrated to the onlooking universe so that the universe can be assured that Abraham truly is a righteous man by faith. Because when God said he was righteous in chapter 15, then he messes up and does the Ishmael Hagar thing in chapter 16. Now then Isaac comes along later on, but people want to know, the universe wants to know, is this man who God really says he is? And Abraham his faith has grown so much that he now believes, he figures it out in his mind, since Isaac is the child of promise. Listen to this. Since Isaac is the child of promise, if I am putting him to death, since God is one who can quicken the dead and call those things which be not as though they were, he will simply have to raise Isaac up from the dead to fulfill his promise, which is sure to me. Now listen to this. This blows me away. When God promised Abraham that he would have Isaac, he told him exactly what he was going to do. And Abraham had faith to believe that God could give him a child. You know, he didn't have Zechariah and Elizabeth to draw upon when God says you're going to have a child. But because God said you will have a child, even though they're past childbearing age, he believed in the promise of God. That's why Zechariah went mute, because God said you and Elizabeth are going to have a son, and Zechariah said, how could that be? We're too old to have children. And God had already given him an illustration in the Old Testament through Abraham and Sarah. 
and Gabriel's meeting him in the most holy place of the, of, of the earthly sanctuary at that time. But there's something different about Abraham's faith here in verse 19. Did God promise Abraham that he would raise Isaac up from the dead? He did not. Secondly, let me ask you this. When he came to the conclusion that Isaac would be raised from the dead so that the promise of God could be fulfilled, he drew upon all the experiences of the previous resurrections that had taken place to comfort himself that God would raise Isaac from the dead, right? No. When was the first resurrection? Moses. That's why Romans 5 says that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Because there was no resurrection from the time that Adam died till the time that Moses died, and then God re resurrected Moses from the dead. And Moses clearly came after Abraham. So Abraham is believing in something that has never happened before, and it hasn't been promised. What a faith. Do you have that kind of faith? There had never been a resurrection. And you may be saying today, I'm not sure if I can trust the promises of God. You need to develop your faith experience. You need to fo follow the father of faith, Abraham. You know, there are people today who say, I know God says that he will have people who will overcome sin, but I've never seen a perfect person in my life. Are you perfect? Is she perfect? Are they perfect? I don't see anyone that's perfect. So how is that even a reality? But God isn't looking for people who are judging things based on human experience. He is looking for people who will base their faith of possibility based on what God has promised rather than what you feel or think or experience. If God says it, it is true. We have a strong tendency as Adventists to live by sight rather than by faith. Manuscript 161, 1897 says, In the day of judgment, the course of the man who has retained the frailty and imperfection of humanity will not be vindicated. For him there will be no place in heaven. He could not enjoy the perfection of the saints in light. He who has not sufficient faith in Christ to believe that he can keep him from sinning has not the faith that will give him an entrance into the kingdom of God. You know, that's not even as hard as what God asked Abraham to do, if you're honest with yourself. And there are so many other challenges that you could think of. You know, uh, just since we're here at a medical missionary retreat, raising the right arm, there are some who say, I know that the plan says that we need to have sanitariums in many locations, but we just haven't seen it work in a viable way in very many places, so it must not be relevant for our time. Is that the kind of faith God's looking for in this, this, this era of earth's history? God is looking for people who will have faith in God's promises and in God's instructions to carry out what he has said can be done. Abraham is the father of faith for the reason that he believed in things 
that seemed impossible, but because he was so closely connected to God, because God became his friend, he learned by experience to trust in the word of God that even when God's word promised him things that seemed outrageously impossible, he still believed because he believed in the reliability of the word of God. And I don't know where you are in your faith experience tonight, but you need to learn to get past making excuses for you not living up to the promises of the word of God. Now is the time for God's people to rise up and to come to a higher plane, to a higher standard, and to say, if God's word says it, we believe it, and that is going to be the rule of faith for our lives. And even if it seems as if it is impossible, we will by faith follow the promises of God. And that is exactly the kind of people that God will find safe to save in the end. He will say, these are righteous people by faith. They believe in my promises. They believe that I am the God of the impossible. They believe that I can do in their lives that which would seem to be impossible. And that is when God will be able to demonstrate through his people his character to the world. And if you want a good example that will bring courage and faith to your heart, go back to the Bible and study the life of Abraham and the faith that he had. And that will give you the courage that you need to get through the final crisis of earth's history. Amen? May we be faithful and may we learn to exercise faith in God's promises. Let's kneel for prayer as we close. Father in heaven, you are a good God to us. We are so weak and feeble, but you are so powerful and your grace is sufficient. Your strength is made perfect in weakness. May we learn to claim the promises on a daily basis that you are able to keep us from falling, that we can be more than conquerors through you who love us. Arm us with the mind of Christ, and may we believe that Christ can live out his life through us. Forgive us for where we have fallen short, but give us grace to believe in your promises. And may we be fully persuaded that what you have promised, you will perform in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.